Thanks for downloading this episode. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. Every subscription helps, and you get to hear other stories behind the pink ribbon each week. On this episode, Julie Caputo joined us on the podcast. She was diagnosed with stage 2B invasive lobular cancer at the age of 49. She shared that she had a pain in her left breast, which is why she went to get the exam in the first place, but it wasn't even related to cancer. She also talked about her treatments, her support system, and how having unrelenting positivity has been a key factor in her road to recovery. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Julie. Julie is a newly diagnosed breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed in March of 2019 with invasive lobular carcinoma. She was initially diagnosed as stage 1A. But after discovering some lymph node involvement, that was upgraded to 2B. So, Julie, I'm uh, grateful to have you here on the podcast. So, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're really, first of all, I have to say it's amazing that you were so willing to step forward Mm -hmm. at this point in your journey, just because it is so fresh. Um, So I I certainly applaud you for that. Um, Personally, I don't know if I could have done it. So, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I I really celebrate you for being able to share this and being so willing to share it. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of like finding the cancer, how did that Mm -hmm. come about for you? Did you, were you doing self breast exams? Were you going in for a mammogram? Um, Mm -hmm. Was there a lump? How did that all happen? Well, the thing about invasive lobular carcinoma, now that I understand is most people don't fill it by doing a breast exam. Um, It grows in strands. So it doesn't, it's not encapsulated so that there's something that can be felt. Uh, I, I actually thought that my implants were getting old. They're about 12 years old. And I was mentioning it to a coworker that I was having pains in my rib right underneath my left breast. And she said, you know what? I think that you should go and, and definitely talk to somebody about that. But if you're due to go and get a mammogram, go and uh, do that first. So I went into uh, my doctor at my women's health center and told her about it. And honestly, if it hadn't have been for her being proactive, it never would have been caught because she didn't feel anything. Um, she sent me in to get a mammogram. The mammogram didn't see it, um, but she followed it up with an ultrasound and it was the ultrasound that caught it. Wow. And, and at the time, it was only, it was right there where I had this pain in my rib. However, the two are not related. I don't know if it was a God thing, God saying, you know what, you need to go get this looked at. I'm not sure. But right after I was diagnosed, that pain that I'd had for a very long time went away. 
So for whatever that is. Yeah. So, um, so right after that, no, I didn't know anything about cancer. Nothing was said. It was just that there was something that was found. Let's go get, um, let's go get a, um, so after the ultrasound, it went to an MRI. They did an MRI on both of my breasts. Again, saw that there was something there. That's all they said to me. And then I went in for a biopsy. When I went in for the biopsy, nobody has still mentioned anything to me about cancer. But when I sat down, the doctor came in that was going to do the biopsy and she held my hand and she said, so now you know why you're here right now. I hadn't taken anybody with me because I just thought it was, you know, easy. And, and I said, yeah, you're, you're going to do a biopsy. And she said, honey, there's a good chance you have cancer. Oh, wow. So at that moment, yeah, my world just stopped. Yeah. I mean, so, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking like you were not even prepped at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I don't mean that any of us are truly prepared for this, right? but at some point somebody has a conversation with us and says, well, you know, there is a chance that this might be cancer. Let's kind of rule that out. But nobody had that conversation with you. Nobody had that conversation with me. And so the doctor, for being proactive in everything that she did, I thank her. But when I went back in um, for a follow-up to discuss other things, other medical procedures I'm going to have to have done, um, I did say to her, that would have been very, very helpful if you would have done that. Because um, at the time... Not my coworker wound up going to appointments with me because of all things. My husband and my son were in um, Israel. Oh my they were God. doing, you know, but they were doing the holy trek, and so I found out I had cancer. But I was telling everybody at work, "Oh, I have to go and have you know this um, um, procedure done." And they're like, "Oh, I've had that. Oh, I've had that. You're fine. You're good. You're good." So that's what I had in my head was, "Oh, I'm fine. Sure, I'm okay." So I drove myself there, and I cried my eyes out the whole way back. And at the, the time is I felt so alone. Absolutely. Had I known, had I known I would have had my friend go with me again. I would have had somebody be there with me because now I'm getting into a car and all I could think about was, Oh my gosh, I probably have cancer. I probably have breast cancer. And right. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting to me. I mean, mm-hmm. number one, I mean, there are lots of things about this already mm-hmm. that are so fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, you know, number one, I didn't know that lobular really grew in mm-hmm. strands versus mm-hmm. being encapsulated and not yeah. being able to fill a lump. So, right. you know, that within itself really is a good reminder for people that mm-hmm. just because you don't have a lump doesn't mean that something isn't there. And that just really stresses the importance of mm-hmm. going and getting the mammograms. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, so, just, and just looking at your, your breast because the the thing with it is the mammogram didn't pick it up, but there will be breast changes. That's and true. You did say that. Mm-hmm, the mammogram mm-hmm. did not catch it. No, it didn't. And um, and that's a tough one for people too because we, we say go get a mammogram. But the mammogram, not all the time, but a lot of the times we'll miss it. So, so mine, mine was only a centimeter. Got to remember this. It was only a centimeter long. And right. so when I go into the rest of my story with them saying, you're, you're fine, you're everything – I wasn't, and it was only a centimeter. And most of the time when lobular is found, you're already at a stage four. Well, I was going to say, if this is Mm -hmm. not being found on mammography, then, and and 
Did you have the 3D mammography? Or? I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that within itself is mm-hmm. problematic because right. now we have the 3D mammography and mm-hmm. that's so supposed to be, you know, the cutting edge technology and it's supposed right. to really be helpful in finding, um, you know, breast cancer. But if that specific kind of cancer is missed through even the 3D mammography mm-hmm. and people aren't being pushed to go for an ultrasound, Absolutely. I mean, all of these people that have this type of cancer, I would imagine would be higher stage. They are. So typically they are higher stage, uh, which is scary. There's all kinds of different things that go with it. I I now have, I'm I'm just learning every day, but there's, there's a lot that isn't known about this kind of, of a strand of breast cancer. Um, ductal obviously is the one that most people have. Right. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot about this one that, that isn't, and they just, the, um, the doctors will just treat it. The oncologists will just treat it like they do ductal or any other. And there's not enough, um, down the road to know, are we treating it right? or Are we not treating it right? And so I'm just being treated like somebody with ductal and and there's all kinds of, I mean, I could go into all the research that's behind it, but all I can do is just trust and and just have faith that, that it'll be, that I'll be okay. You know, that I'll be cancer free. There's nothing else I can do. Um, right. So are there, hmm. are they currently doing research Studies? Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a part of a research group. I can just kind of watch and all the new, um, you know, the what's learned about it and just, you know, the studies and following people. But um, where I am right now in it, all, like I said, all I can do, there's a little bit of a higher chance of it coming back from what I understand. If it comes back, it's it'll come back in the brain, blood, or bones. Okay. And if it comes back, it comes back as stage four. And I, I think which mostly, I think even the ductal, it's that way. If it right. comes back, um, you're, you're automatically, you know, chemo for life or whatever they say. But you know what? I can't, I've been through so much already, like, um, with this that I can't go there. I just have to think about right now and, and fighting it. But yeah, nothing went quite the way that the doctors had told me um, that and, it would go, <laughs> including yeah. the hospital. When and I had to go into the hospital, nothing has gone the way that they thought. I but. feel like, honestly, that is almost true for everyone. Right. Like, they don't anticipate this, and, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of create their own stories around it. And and yeah. I certainly don't mean any disrespect to any doctors or, right. you know, medical staff, but I feel like they certainly do create stories around certain things that give mm-hmm. us, I guess, this kind of false sense of or false hope, yeah, mm-hmm. hope or security or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I know that it's not done with ill will, but it no. certainly isn't always no. helpful either. Um, no. So one of the things you know, you talked about going in for that biopsy um, mm-hmm. by yourself, which I, for me, I am kind of surprised because. Mm-hmm. At the point where I had to go in for my biopsy, I was told that I had to bring somebody with me. And at that point in time, I had not shared anything with my family. Nobody knew what I had gone through up to that point in time. And so they didn't say to you, like, bring somebody with you. This would be Mm -mm. an... Nope. Yeah. Nope. I mean, especially, especially because at my biopsy, I was not told straight out the way that you were. Um, However, the 
the radiologist or the pathologist or whatever mm-hmm. she was, um, she had given some indications. And okay. so I'm just kind of curious, you know, so here you are now mm-hmm. in this position of, of having this information, you're driving mm-hmm. yourself, your husband mm-hmm. and your child are, <laughs> you know, n- not even in close proximity right. um, to be able to support you. So what happened? I mean, how were you able to get home? I can imagine that you were probably terrified. I think, yeah, I was, but I think I was more just numb. Like I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to think. I called, um, I called my coworker, Mary Jess, who worked in the ER pretty much underneath a doctor. So she was very knowledgeable and she was the one that, and her mother is a breast cancer survivor. So she was the one that I called and she walked me through it, wound up going with me to, um, my first appointment with the breast surgeon. And when I was sitting there with the breast surgeon, Mary just was listening to everything. I, I think I was just in a cloud, like I would hear something and that I would just go off on that in my head. And I didn't listen to anything else as soon as, because somehow I just thought, Oh, they'll just go in and I'll just take it out. Right. They'll just take out this cancer and fine. I'll be good again. And then the doctor said, well, okay, these are your options. We could do uh, a mastectomy. We could do a double mastectomy. We could do uh, a nipple sparing double mastectomy. And, and all of a sudden I just thought, wait, hold up. Your weight, I'd never thought that, that, wait, hold on a minute. And that, so I had just started bawling and I couldn't, there was nothing. I, I cried the whole way home in the car and Mary just said, no, Julie, what she is saying is you have options, you know, what to do, but they, they could just go in and just take that out. But then if the margins aren't clear, what if it's in your lymph nodes? Right. So I just said, well, what would you do? And she said, after my mom went through this, I would do it nipple sparing, double mastectomy, Julie, just, just get out. They said that they can go back in four months later and do the reconstruction and, um, and and you'll be fine because the doctor told you that there's a very slight chance that it would, at only being a centimeter, that it'd actually get into your lymph nodes. So wait, was this at your, (laughs) was was this at your, what appointment was this at? So this was the breast surgeon. So this is the, so mm -hmm. when did they, who called you and said, like, gave you the official diagnosis? Like, the, um, the, was it the so doctor that, that you went breast, to? That was the breast surgeon. Oh, so the breast, mm-hmm. so this wasn't even the doctor that you went to? No, no. Initially. She had to refer me onto a breast surgeon and gave me a team of doctors who are fabulous, wonderful, wonderful. But she's the one that sat there with Mary, Jess, and I that went over the official, what everything was and what it looked like going forward and what my options were. And again, my husband and son are in Israel. Right. And I had to make a decision and they wanted to get rolling on, you know, right. Having the surgery. So wait, they let, Mm -hmm. I'm still, wait, I'm, yeah, you are so right on this (laughs) that nothing (laughs) kind of goes, went the way that it typically goes. And, and not that there's necessarily prescribed procedure Mm -hmm. in this, but you know, when I went to see my doctor mm-hmm. due to finding a lump, that doctor, that doctor's office was the same mm-hmm. that called me to tell me about the diagnosis. I didn't have a breast surgeon mm-hmm. set up. Yeah. So they had already at that point in time, had you kind of lined up and that breast surgeon was the one that called you to say, this is what you have. This is the stage. The Well, to back up the so I went to, um, my, that was my OBGYN, my 
um, that was the office that I went to that I always right you okay. know just had my women's health and what um, Doctor uh, Doctor Tracy said to me was that um, I have I have cancer I have breast cancer is what she said. And she said, this is not an area that I am as knowledgeable in. And I don't feel, you know, really comfortable talking to you extensively about this, but I want you, I encourage you, I'm sending everything over to this um, breast surgeon. She is wonderful. She has a great team. And that's where that went. I want you to give her a call. I'm going to send everything over. So this breast surgeon, a couple days, I might've even been the next day, got us right in Okay. And she was the one that sat with me and said, this is what you have. This is where it was found, showed, you know, both of us on a, a little mannequin of sorts and went over the whole thing. And this is what we need to do going forward, said to me, you need to get a, um, a plastic surgeon. And this is the lady that I recommend. She's part of the team. And okay. it was just a whole bunch thrown at me. That all makes, at, at oh once. yeah, yeah, for so, sure. And that makes mm-hmm. a little bit more sense because mm-hmm. I was just kind of thinking, like, right, you know, it, it, to have somebody that you may not mm-hmm. be familiar with call you and tell you that, mm-hmm. oh, you have cancer. So right. to know that somebody that was familiar called you, um, yeah, makes me feel yeah. a little bit better. And she <laughs> had said about too. Well, she she had said too that it was kind of all off in pathology, and that 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 report and everything really somebody that's going to go forward with my care needed to sit down with me and and discuss it more. Sure. And that's and that's what happened with that. And Absolutely. so we did. And then I went to the um, yeah. So to fast forward, it was supposed to be I was going to go in for surgery. I chose to do the nipple sparing double mastectomy okay. just because I didn't want any chance of it coming back in the other. Uh, breast, which lobular tends to, it, um, is, it tends to go, come up in different spots. And I just wanted to alleviate that possibility. And I was supposed to four months later, get implants and get my reconstruction and beyond. And when I went into the hospital, now my husband and my son are back from Israel and I'm in the hospital, but now my daughter is on her, her holy trek in Israel. And uh, it was all, it was all pre-planned before, but I went in and everything was different. The doctors, both of them had to go into my husband and my son and just say, yeah, we didn't, we didn't see that, uh, coming. It's all in her lymph nodes and this kind of just changes, changes everything. And, um, and I had a blood clot. I bled for 10 hours and wound up passing out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. And this was, so when did you have the mastectomy? April 10th. April 10th. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be the next day I was going to be, um, I was going to leave the hospital, but 10 hours after my surgery, I passed out. My blood pressure just hit the ground and they, anyways, um, it was like Grey's Anatomy, a team, all I remember is a team came running at me and, and I was looking around like what just happened. And they said I had a blood clot and the blood clot caused extensive internal bleeding. And so I was there for a little bit and, um, and then, you know, I've just been going forward now ever since then with, um, a bunch of little hiccups along the way, but right. So did they see the light? (laughs) (laughs) I do. There's yeah. And I always, it's always kind of a hard place to, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're kind of in the thick of it to really Mm -hmm. see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is. Um, 
Yeah. So I, I totally can understand that. Like the moment mm. where you're like, I see light. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so awesome. Yay. Yeah. So in sort terms of, yeah. of, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so in terms of like the, uh, you know, you kind of talked about the margins a little bit. Did they find right. clean margins? Um, they just took everything out. Okay. So um, with the nipple sparing double mastectomy, I had, I was able to do that with a lot of people that have, um, that have ductal, they're not able to right. have that option. And luckily that's one good in all of this is that I was. So, uh, the breast surgeon just took out all of the breast tissue and the, um, plastic surgeon followed it up with, um, just putting new implants in for me, which was nice because I had implants before. So they were able to do the implants, um, sewed me back up opened me up again. So I have some pretty, I have some pretty gnarly scars. Um, but yeah, there is, I know that they sent things out, it all off to the pathology uh, or pathologist. And then those reports came back and that's where they, at the end of my surgery came back and said I was a, now a 2B. Okay. So no um, radiation, no need Oh for no, I still, radiation. I still have all of that. Yeah. Oh, you do still have to do radiation? So, mm -hmm. so I did, um, I did AC, uh, chemo, which is one of it is the red devil. I mm -hmm. did that one, um, uh, first for eight weeks. And then now I'm in the middle of taxol. And I, that's what I'm saying. I see the light for this because I only have five left. Okay. But last week I went in saying I only had five left and my white first was my red count was low. So I had to have a, um, a blood transfusion. And then last week it was my white that was low, so I wasn't able to do chemo. Yeah. So I have, when I can get it done, I have five more left, and then I get a little break, and I start five weeks of radiation okay. five times a week. And then technically I am done after that. I'll go and have my scan, but I'll be done with the um, the, the cancer trying to um, rid my body of the cancer. Right. And then after that I have another half a year of of, um, a hysterectomy, um, hyperbaric chamber treatments, and then they're going to do, um, the reconstruction just because everything's just needs to be kind of put back together after right. all of this. Okay. Um, so I've still got, yeah, I've still got time, but that part of it's fine. I just want them to tell me that right now I, they don't see any cancer right. in me. So do you, is the, did they indicate that the the cancer was estrogen or progesterone positive? Yes. Yes. Okay. It is. So mm -hmm. do you then have to take, um, you know, yes. either tamoxifen or mm -hmm. an Okay. Are you currently taking tamoxifen? No, they're not going to start that until after I'm done from what I understand with chemotherapy. I'm okay. hoping after radiation, but I think it's after chemotherapy. And I, uh, the appointment that I had with Dr. Tracy was, about getting a hysterectomy. I don't have, I'm the only person with breast cancer in my family. Okay. So there is no history of it. So there's no history of, you know, of it going to where um, it might go into my uterus or any of that. But I just want to go ahead and have that removed because this cancer could go there. Okay. So, yeah, so I asked the doctor, well, if I have that done, would I still need to be on those? And he said, me, because of, of I was almost at 100% on both the estrogen and progesterone, that's how much my body wow. was producing. He said, you're going to be, you're probably going to get shots and you're going to be on a pill, but, um, I don't want to be, of course I don't want to be, they have some pretty 
interesting side effects, but um, I don't, I don't ever want to have cancer again either. So I will do whatever they tell me to do. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of a hard balance. It is. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you know between... is that what you're on then too? Um, well, to be completely honest with you, I did five and a half years of tamoxifen. I only did the tamoxifen because I was part of a research study. Um, oh. I had some pretty significant side effects from tamoxifen, some of which could be is they're still not quite sure. However, oh. I didn't have any of the symptoms prior to the tamoxifen. So mm. they're not sure if endometriosis is connected or not. Okay. But I okay. didn't end up with significant endometriosis. Um, oh. I had the hysterectomy and the oophorectomy, but okay. I opted personally to not take the aromatase inhibitor um, mm-hmm. just because of my experience with the tamoxifen. So, you know, it's always a, a personal decision, um, right. for, for everybody, but, you know, certainly you have to, you know, kind of balance what it is, you know, for yourself. Um, right. I would never, ever in a million years tell somebody to not do something right. because the way that, you know, the tamoxifen was in my body is different from the way it's going to interact in somebody else's. Um, yes. But- yes. And that is, that is true because I've on these, because I read you know, the blogs and what people say about things. And I have to keep remembering that, that some people, things like these, um, tax all this, um, this chemotherapy that I'm going through right now, I have no side effects. I'm breezing through it right now, but other people are sicker than sick. They've get you know, all of these different side effects. So it's the same thing with doing yeah. these estrogen blockers is it may be okay for me and it might not be for the next person and I'll still give it a try. Absolutely. But if it doesn't work, then maybe there's another one I can try. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I just have to keep reminding myself because when I went into all of this, I was just, everybody in my family is like, get off the computer because I was looking at at what people were going through and it was just making me cry. Right. Well, my experience through chemotherapy has not been a walk in the park, but it's certainly nothing like what I read that other people went through. And, the, so, and it's hard to stay off of the computer. I oh, mean, the, yeah. the truth of that is, you know, when you don't have... A family history of it. And, right. you know, maybe you don't have very many people that were close to you that had breast cancer. You're no. just trying to find all the information that you can possibly mm-hmm. get. Right. And reading stories, because I did the mm-hmm. exact same thing. I do have the family history. However, it came from the paternal side of my family, but I'm not super connected to them. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I was kind of in that same position where I was, I felt very alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I turned to as well. Yeah. You and know. there's a lot of, there's a lot of information out there too. I have, I have a chemo box and I'm going to put it in there and it's just a page on the front and back of things that people said worked. Right. And so there's a lot of, I shouldn't have read that cause it's scaring me, but there was little nuggets that I got that made, I believe made my experience better because I did look and find out, well, what happens if I have this side effect or how can I have this be, you know, what can I take that's a vitamin that will help me so I don't get this. And so there's, there's a lot of good out there So what were some of those things? Like if you recall, (laughs) what were some of those things that were helpful? I mean, now that we're sharing, you know, that would be great for (laughs) our listeners to have. (laughs) Well, let me just pull out my little sheet here and I'll tell you, I have, um, well, the, what I'm going to, going into radiation, 
I'll tell you that one first is um, some people put lavender on their skin before. Um, I have about how much water you should drink. Uh, drink. Um, per- person said to do Aquaphor in the morning and then put pure aloe after their treatment. This is for mm. radiation. Yeah. Avocado oil two to three times between, you know, these hours and, and everything. And she said, I never got I never got any radiation burns. So that's kind of where I'm thinking right now going ahead is how, what can I do to my skin to prep it? Um, Horsetail vitamins help hair grow back. Uh Uh, Right now I'm dealing with, um, with the possibility of getting neuropathy. And I read that if you do the B complex and the glutamine, glutamine, Mm -hmm. I did that and I don't have so far knocking wood. I have no neuropathy. Oh, wow. Um, and that's what the tax all about getting a fuzzy pillow for when my hair uh, started growing and it was like it is right now and it's prickly. <laughs> so all kinds of, um, all kinds of little things. Cause there's, there was nerve pain, hot flashes, eye twitch. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that looking for those kinds of things that worked for people, were the nuggets that I was looking for. And I think there was one time, well, there was one time I asked on on one of my sites, I said, I just read about all of the negative. I'm starting chemo. Can anybody tell me that they got through it fine? I just want somebody to give me something that's encouraging. And man, it blew up with all of the encouragement. Oh, I did fine. This is what I use. This is what I drank. This is the vitamin I took. And, um, and then I started getting the thank you so much for that. Yeah. I've been crying for days Aww. reading this. And it's like, no, tell me, tell me what's positive. And when I went into the nurse, she said, that's 90% of it. Right. When I, my very first day at chemo, 90% of it is your attitude going into it. And I thought, then I am going to, um, then that's what I'm, and I know you probably have to get going here, but no. that is what I have held on to. And the nurse said to me, we have a saying here. Um, at the oncology office, it's called unrelenting positivity. And I wrote it in my book and I had a sign made and I brought it back to them Oh, and, and it's, it's hanging up in there. And I had one made for me too. And it's hanging on my wall, oh, unrelenting awesome. positivity. I love and that's, that. that's how we get through it every day. Um, that's it. when, yeah, when I watch the world moving around me and I feel like I'm in a, you know, Yes. I'm in this time warp right now where every day is consumed by fighting cancer. Um, right. I have that unrelenting positivity that this too shall pass. And I got to do right now what I got to do yeah. so that I am back out there again. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I can definitely relate to those feelings. And yeah. even though it's been so long ago for me, I do remember, you know, the world just was spinning around me and I felt like I was just standing still Yeah, and just, you know, kind of standing there all by myself and not really quite sure what to do. Yeah. So, but I I love the unrelenting positivity because Mm -hmm. I think that's so powerful for other people to hear and, you know, just you talking about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, Mm -hmm. you know, even if it's, even if it's a small glimpse of it, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's there. Um, so that's, that's great. So one of the things, you know, I, 
I want to ask you because you are mm-hmm. so fresh into this. Um, mm-hmm. What are some things that you have used for support? What has mm-hmm. kind of helped you other than obviously that unrelenting positivity? Um, yeah. But, you know, anything that maybe family has done for you or, uh, you know, I, I have heard you talk about kind of the online support groups and things like that. But mm-hmm. is there anything else that has really been helpful for you mm-hmm. kind of going through it? Well, when I've just my faith, I don't know how. I don't know how people can go through something like this that is seriously a life-changing event. Um, I'll never be the same person again. And that's not a negative. I never, I won't be. I'm a changed person after this, but my faith has carried me through, through this. Um, I work for a church and the, the people that I work with and, and for have rallied around me in a way that it just brings me to tears about what they have done for me and how they have helped me um, and how they have lifted me up and encouraged me. Um, I'm also so, I'm very fortunate in that my husband and I have moved 14 times. We've lived oh. all over, <laughs> all over the, the place. And so I have a very, very large circle of friends. Yeah. And, um, and this is, this is one thing that, that I will, what I did do for my church is, um, is memorial services. And one of the things that happens to these people when we talk about, about grief is that they'll go through, like, say, say you've lost a loved one and you're going through the, the, the stages of grief. And at the very beginning, everybody's there and they're sending you presents and their cards and flowers. And that's what happened to me. Big boxes full of stuff. And you just get so consumed with that, that it makes it takes your mind off of the big picture. I have cancer or I lost, you know, a loved one. Um, and I, I, the, both of them are very similar in that I had so many people loving on me and sending me things. And then everybody goes back to their jobs and their life yeah. in the same way that what happens when somebody that is grieving and, um, I encourage family and friends for those people to remember that you're going back to your life, but they're still going to be going through the empty chair, the Christmas without their, their loved one. Well, it's the same thing for somebody that has cancer. Everybody is there. Uh, The meals came and the support, but when everybody went back to their life, that's when my grief kicked in. That's when I was, I was flooded with emotions that I didn't, I didn't know why I would just start crying. Um, and I didn't know who to reach out to and who to talk to because everybody had already come around, right. you know, they'd already given me the gifts and, um, and I, it wasn't the gifts. It was just that I needed somebody just to keep checking in to see how I was doing. Absolutely. And then it, it kind of just picked itself back up again and, um, daily, how are you doing, Julie? Do you need anything? So what I tell people is if you know somebody that's going through this, know that they're going to need you, but they're going to need you for a lot longer than the first couple weeks of the diagnosis or after that, um, that surgery, they, they're going to need you for a year, um, as they try to figure out their new normal. And that's, um, just, just like somebody that's grieving the loss of a loved one. It's, it's a very, it's an emotional roller coaster. I've never been on and never want to be on and never wish on anybody. Right. 
Um, yeah, and I would yeah. I would agree with that. I, f- you know, I uh, exactly what you just said, um, yeah. and you said it beautifully because that is it. And it's not really about the gifts, and it's not about anything no. else. It's just mm-hmm. knowing that somebody is there, and yep. you know, even. I would say even after a year, sometimes yeah. it's still nice to have people because your life, you are, you are really grieving the life that you had prior to the cancer, knowing that yes. what comes next will never be that same life. Like it, it'll it never changes. Be. Right. So, yeah. And, and that is true. That's what I have said to people is, oh, how are you doing? Well, I miss my life. I miss what it used to be like. I I miss being able to feel me because I feel like I have plastic wrapped all around me now. I don't have any feeling anymore. Um, There's so many, I I look at myself and I have scars all over me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And it's a reminder when you have cancer and you're going through it, it's every minute of every day yes. and in the nighttime when I can't sleep because I have steroids in me and I feel alone. I feel so alone. Um, but I have you, you asked me what I do. I love books. And so I, I, I pour into these books and it takes me away from what I'm going through so I can learn about something else. And that's what I'm doing right now is, and I'm looking into furthering my education because I'm a sponge. I just, (laughs) I just want to, I just want to learn. And that's what I'm doing as a distraction from this. I don't color and people color that I don't, I just, I read, um, I read and I try to be around people as much as I can. So I'm not alone. Right. Well, those are great pieces of information and tips. And um, I thank you so much. Again, I I can't really even thank you enough, quite honestly, again, for coming on and and sharing your story, especially because you are so much in the throes of this and having such great information to share and being so open. I do want to give a big shout out to our mutual friend, Heather Burkhart, who referred you um, to be on the podcast. I certainly, um, she is definitely a light um, yes, she in is. this world. And so, you know, I'm thankful that both of us know her and yes. I'm beyond grateful that you were here with us today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.